So if you have your Bibles, uh, go ahead and grab them and you can turn to John chapter 5. We'll get there in just a minute. We are in a sermon series called God Is, and we are examining the major attributes of God. And some of these attributes will be a little challenged, um, or we will be challenged by these attributes, because maybe for some of us, we thought God behaved one way, acted one way, and yet we're going to discover what the Bible actually tells us about the behavior and the attributes, the character of God. So if you have your bulletin, there's a little handout. You can fill in some blanks, jot some notes down. In part one, we talked about how God was all-knowing. He is all-powerful, and he is all-present or everywhere. There's nowhere that you can go that God isn't. Um, it, when I grew up, people used to say that hell was the only place that God, God's presence didn't exist, and I don't believe that's true. Uh, the psalmist David said, even if I descend into the depths of Sheol, which is the Hebrew word for hell, you are there. Now, God is, the people in hell are there in the presence of God's justice and wrath. And so um, I, I believe that, that there is nowhere you could go where God is not. That's what defines his omnipresence. Rick spoke last week, and a huge thank you for Rick sharing Last week, uh, he spoke part two that God is loving, and he explained through several parables how the overwhelming love of God. Today is part three of our series, God is self-sufficient. God is self-sufficient. I need to ask you a question. How do you like your Band-Aids removed? Do you like somebody to slowly peel the Band-Aid off your arm? Uh, like after you give blood, and, and for me, it, it's, it's pretty painful when they do it slowly because of the hair on my arm. Do you like Band-Aids removed slowly, or do you just like to rip them off and, and not prolong the misery? Well, I, I hope that you prefer the rip-it-off method, because uh, for some of you, that's what I'm going to do today spiritually. We're going to remove a Band-Aid, and we're going to remove it quickly and abruptly so that you can see what the scripture says about God's self-sufficiency and what that means for us. This is why bad theology creeps into churches fairly easily when people are not grounded in the word of God. If somebody teaches a heretical doctrine, a lot of Christians wouldn't even know if it contradicted scripture because they don't know scripture. For some Christians, all they know about the Bible is what their pastor has taught them. And this makes it impossible for them to have a right understanding of God, a right understanding of Jesus, of themselves, for salvation, for end times events. This is why, you know, 88 Reasons Christ is going to return to 88 was a big seller. And then that didn't happen. And so January 1st, 89 reasons Jesus will return in 1989, and you've got people who are really confused about the end times events as opposed to just understanding what the Bible says and accepting God's words on the issue. So let's get to ripping that Band-Aid off, and let's expose something that has crept into church, maybe not this church, but the overall church, uh, that, that, and it may be a little shocking for you, but as you read scripture, I believe you will see that it's true. You ready? That wasn't enthusiastic. So let's look at John chapter 5 to get you ready. 
Okay, John chapter 5, before I rip the band-aid right off, because I have a feeling that once I say what I'm going to say, I might lose you for a minute or two. In John chapter 5, here's the background. Jesus healed the man at the pool of Bethesda, and he did so on the Sabbath. Now, this was the big no-no because the Pharisees considered healing something. The Pharisees considered healing someone, which was something they couldn't do, as unauthorized Sabbath work. Now, if God wanted to heal someone, he had six perfectly good days in order to heal them. But the Sabbath was sacred. The Sabbath was set apart for resting. No work could be done on that day. Well, Jesus is God, and so he did what he wanted to do. God rested on the first Sabbath, but he had not rested on any Sabbath since then. Jesus said this in John 5, 17. My father is working until now, and I am working. What day did Jesus say this on? The Sabbath. So he says, my father is working today. And I'm working today. So Jesus was merely doing what the Father does all seven days, working and ministering and healing and providing. I'm thankful that God doesn't take Saturday off anymore because some Saturdays I need his help. The Pharisees were very angry with Jesus because he had healed a man on the Sabbath. They didn't care about this broken, hurting man that had been made whole. All they cared about was people's obedience to their rules. Now, the Pharisees got even more mad at Jesus because in this conversation, he made himself out to be God. He made himself, he said that he was equal with the Father. And to explain how the Godhead works, he gave them more insight into his equality with the Father. And so if you have time, we won't do it now, but if you have time, read John 5, 19 through 24. It's a great passage filled with lots of powerful theology regarding the deity of Jesus Christ. If you want to write that down, it's John 5, 19 through 24, that paragraph. Now, in this paragraph, Jesus kind of turned some of his comments into apocalyptic and a little end of the world. But right in the middle of that paragraph is John 5, 26. And this is what we want to look at. It's a statement that Jesus makes. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. Think about that. The Father has life in himself. He does not need anything else to provide him with life. He does not need creation to provide him with life. So this leads us to our Band-Aid ripping moment. For some of you, you may not know this, but number one, God doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. God cannot be self-sufficient and still need anything to exist. He doesn't need oxygen, even though he created it. He doesn't need sunlight, even though he created it. He doesn't need food, even though he created it. And he doesn't need us, even though he created us. 
If he needed us, he wouldn't be self-sufficient. The fact that God is self-sufficient, that he has life in himself, means that he doesn't need us or anything else to exist or function as God. If he lacked something, he wouldn't be much of a God. Now, Scripture teaches us this truth, even though there are modern-day preachers that would never preach this, because sometimes you get a message, you hear a message, and, and you get the picture that Jesus is up in heaven, and he's just so desperate for you to accept him that somehow he's devalued if you don't. No, Jesus is not codependent. He doesn't need me for his worth. He doesn't need me for his value. He doesn't need me to exist as God. He doesn't need me to accept him in order to be worthy to the Father. In Acts 17, Paul was standing in Athens and he noticed many altars and many symbols to gods that they worshipped. In all of that, there was an altar inscribed with the words, to the unknown God. They didn't want to miss worshipping a God they had not heard about yet. So they erected this altar. And Paul stood up among the men and he told them that he would gladly tell them about this unknown God. He said in Acts 17, verses 24 through 28, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, even as some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Paul explicitly makes this point that God is self-sufficient, that God doesn't need us. In Acts 17, 25, read it again. Nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. He doesn't need anything because he is the source of all life. It says, in him we live and move and have our being. Not in us he lives, he moves and has his being. He doesn't need us to exist. He existed as God before he created the heavens and the earth. He is wholly self-sufficient. He doesn't need us to make him happy. He doesn't need us to make him whole or content. We sang this morning, you are constant, unchanging, unwavering. 
He is wholly self-sufficient. Now, that's a painful truth for some people to accept that he doesn't need us. But here's an equally important truth. Number two, God doesn't need us, but he wants us. God doesn't need us, but he wants us. Think about that for a second. The God of all creation that needs absolutely nothing to be happy, nothing to be fulfilled, nothing to exist, chooses to be in a relationship with us. He made all of creation for his glory, and then he shared it with humanity. This is one of the reasons why I absolutely love astronomy, because we are seeing, and I've said this before, so forgive me, but we are seeing things, we are seeing things in space today no other generation before us has seen. The telescopes that we have put out into space that show us the Crab Nebula, the Butterfly Nebula, the Sombrero Galaxy, all of these amazing things. Not one single generation before us has seen this detail. And it's been there all along because God put it there. Because one day, 6,000 or so years after he created mankind, we would point a telescope in that direction and we would see it and marvel at the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. The God of all creation created all these things for his own glory and then he shared it with us to enjoy. He made the Garden of Eden, he made Adam and Eve, and he told them to enjoy it and enjoy each other. He didn't have to create us with taste buds to enjoy the food that we eat, but when I'm eating Bluebell, I'm really glad that he did. Because Bluebell is not the same as Blue Bunny. Don't bring that garbage into my house. I'm just kidding. Blue Bunny is not that bad, but it's not Bluebell. It's Diet Bluebell. And that just should not exist. He didn't have to create us with taste buds to enjoy enchiladas and tacos and Italian and, and all of this stuff. But he did because he wants us to enjoy it. He wants us to experience pleasure from eating good food. He didn't have to create us with the ability to feel pleasure. But he did because he wants us to enjoy the fruits of his creation. I like watching nature documentaries, and from time to time, they will capture animals being male and female, okay? They'll capture animals procreating. And wouldn't you know it, while I'm watching this documentary on Discovery Channel or whatever, this is the moment when my toddlers decide to pay attention to the TVM. They're like, Daddy, what are those lions doing? And you got to be quick. you got to say, uh, hey, let's go get some ice cream. And they're like, oh, ice cream. And they just wander away. And I'm like, change the channel. But you notice that when, these, when you're watching these documentaries of these animals, when they procreate, there is no intimacy between them. I know you're probably wondering, what point is he about to make here? You were, you were wondering. There's no intimacy between them. It is a physical act that serves a purpose. Yet God created humans with the capacity to not only procreate, but also to feel a level of intimacy, closeness, and togetherness that seems unique to the human race. God created us 
to feel pleasure and intimacy because he loves us. He wants us to enjoy the creation. So God doesn't need us, but he wants us. And a good way to understand this concept also is adoption. When I was a kid, there were times when a kid was, another, another child was in my class, and, and it was discovered, hey, this kid's adopted. You know, and they would always make fun of that kid. And I could never figure out why. Why are you making fun of this kid? Because they were adopted. And so finally I spoke up, and I asked these bullies, I said, you know, out of all the kids that could have been chosen, his parents specifically chose him. Your parents got stuck with you. This is the beauty of this concept that God doesn't need me, but he wants me. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. He wants to be in relationship with you. He chose to adopt us as his sons and his daughters. There's nothing more beautiful than that. And even when we were dead in our sins and our trespasses, he loves us so much that he went to extraordinary lengths to liberate us from this slavery to sin. God doesn't need you, but he wants you. And that should make you see God's love and God's grace and his mercy in a whole new light. He created us for fellowship. No other living thing in all of creation was created for fellowship with God. From beetles to hummingbirds to chimpanzees, not one other living thing in all creation lives in the kind of fellowship with God that we do. They're completely unaware of the existence of God, yet God feeds them. He takes care of them. He meets their needs. You don't hear about sharks or gorillas or fire ants finding Jesus. You know, could you imagine a shark swimming up on the shore at the beach on spring break and say, have you met my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ? No. I'd, that would be amazing. But no, that doesn't happen because they don't exist aware of the existence of God. They're not trying to discover the meaning of life and somehow discover religion. We're the only living creature that can live in fellowship, intimacy with God. This God, who needs nothing from us, invites us to a relationship with him. But there's something else to discover. Number three, we can add nothing to God. We can add nothing to God. Our good works, our righteous behavior do not add one shred of being, character, or goodness to God. He is completely complete. Remember what Jesus said in John 5, 26, the Father has life in himself. He lacks nothing. So he needs nothing. He wants our obedience. He wants to be in relationship with us, but not because it adds to his essence. He wants those things because it adds to ours. It adds value to our life. It adds character to our life. When Jesus was coming into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, he was rebuked 
for receiving such loud worship from the pilgrims who were also coming into Jerusalem. And he was told by the Pharisees to shush the crowd. Now, they were bringing in the Passover lamb from Bethany into Jerusalem for the Passover festival. What they didn't realize is the Passover lamb, Jesus, was also being led from Bethany into Jerusalem to be the once and for all Passover lamb for all time. And he said in, John, in Luke 1940, when he was told to shush the crowd, he said, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. He will receive praise. He will receive the praise that he is due, either from us or from the rest of creation. If we choose to be silent, if we choose to ignore his will and disobey him, that's fine. He'll put his call on someone else who will be obedient. But he wants us to obey. Not because he needs us, but because he wants us. He wants us to walk in all of the goodness and all of the blessings that he has for us. He wants that for us as a loving father. Our worship, our obedience is not for his benefit. It's for ours. It's to protect us. It's to mold us more into the image of his son, into the likeness that he wants us to walk in. And since that's the case, we can add nothing to God. And number four, we can take nothing, we can take away nothing from God. This is the beauty of God's self-sufficiency. Nothing good you do can add to his character, but the opposite is true. Nothing bad that you've done can take away from his holiness, from his character. God doesn't need your righteous behavior to still be God. And your unrighteous character doesn't take away from him. It does not subtract his holiness, his goodness, his mercy. God doesn't have a, a, a specific reservoir of grace for you. And once that reservoir of grace is depleted, there is no more grace. His response, if we think that, his response to us is, my grace is sufficient for you. His power is made perfect in my weakness, not my strength, in my weakness, because he is self-sufficient. He was just as much God when he created the heavens and the earth, and he'll still be just as much God when the heavens and the earth pass away. That is God's self-sufficiency. I'll ask our worship team to come up. Would you stand with me this morning? You might wonder, why would a self-sufficient God need to create mankind? Why would he need to create the universe? Well, one commentator said this. She said, we may never know the real reason why, but at least we can know that he didn't need to. 
He doesn't need a companion because he's not alone. He doesn't need helpers because he's powerful enough. He doesn't need worshipers because he's glorious enough. He created us for his own sovereign good pleasure. And instead of making us feel bad that God doesn't need us, we should be thrilled that God wants us. That he wants to be in fellowship with us because of the tremendous value that it adds to our lives. He is self-sufficient. He is sovereign. He is complete. Now that should cause joy to rise in your hearts because that means that nothing that you face is too much for him to handle. No sickness that you have is too bad that he can't heal. No sin you've committed subtracts from his holiness. He is complete. And he wants you to rest in his self-sufficiency. Anything you are facing today, God can handle it. He's the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the God of all all creation. So whatever the situation is that you've been trying to figure out or you've been trying to fix or you've been trying to handle, just give it over to God to handle. Because he's all powerful. He's all knowing. He already knows the situation you're facing. You're not hiding anything from him. He's everywhere. He's a loving God and he is self-sufficient. He is more than enough. More than enough, more than able to handle whatever you are facing. This morning, we're going to worship the Lord in a song we're going to conclude. And I want you to use these moments to pray and just turn over to him whatever it is that has been weighing you down. Recognize this morning that he is our king. Would you worship with us today?